Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. I feel like we we did kind of a little nasty thing last episode, and we left a cliffhanger, kind of, uh, but you didn't know where the story was going, so maybe not not that bad of one. I kind of knew where it was going, but um, just to, to bring us all back on the same page again... Um, we were talking last time about the word restoration and how we have kind of made that word into a noun and really it's a verb. And really what we mean by that is we've taken that word and turned it into um, using it as defining an entity or a body of people or a chosen group of people or a, or even the church. And really God as we see in the scriptures and in the Book of Mormon, talks about restoration as this process of bringing all mankind back to him, and specifically uh, his covenant people, the Lamanites and the house of Israel and the Gentiles and everybody. And and every group of people had different um, different pieces of the puzzle at different times, but... Um, but we've said many times, sometimes in the restoration, there I go as a noun, the restoration movement, we have maybe viewed ourselves as the end of the people that were going to build the kingdom and build Zion and the temple and independence and all nations were going to come into it. And that's just part of the story. But the rest of the story is something we've been focusing on for the last several weeks. And that's where I find hope, Corey, because it doesn't take a genius to look around and and if we focus just on the quote restoration movement and our scattered branches and divisions and um, the state that we're in, it's easy to lose hope and feel like man something went south along the way. This story's not panning out the way I thought it would. Now we know that uh, God's timing is different than ours, but. It certainly things aren't progressing. I would say they have digressed, and we can see that in our in many ways. But anyway, so Corey, we've been talking about the rest of the story, the greater uh, prophecies that are really shown and told in the Book of Mormon, right? Yes. You've, and you've come across because of this. We've been researching. You've been researching some things and come across how this story is really unfolding right before our eyes right now all over the world. What I really liked was uh, what was really fascinating to me, Corey. Last time you left off talking about uh, several different people that had written books in the early hundred, the 1600s, you know, a couple hundred years before the Book of Mormon, people were realizing that the Native Americans had Hebrew background. Yes. had 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 um, come from there, come from across the sea. And you left off with this man who came to a group of Indians in this land in North America, and he was taken by uh, by a guide uh, several days' journey into the into this place where he would never have found on his own and met this group of people. And when they greeted him, he knew Hebrew, and they spoke what? They spoke... Yeah, they spoke Hebrew to him. They said the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And that's, uh, you know, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Can, and I was thinking, Corey, can you imagine, here you are, this explorer, way back in uncivilized territory, you've just gone three, two days journey through who knows what with this guide, to who knows where you're heading, you've got to be wondering what in the world, you know, am I ever going to see civilization or, or am I going to come out of this or where are we headed? And here these people come out of nowhere or, or where, where he would have said was nowhere, right? They right. Didn't, he didn't even know where they, that they had existed and they come up to him. Can you imagine even that had to just blow his mind when they spoke Hebrew Oh my gosh, yeah, and, and what they told him it's it's interesting because, uh, and and the book again just to state the title, um, 
Thomas Thorogood wrote this book called Jews in America or Probabilities that the Americans are of that race. That's the actual title, uh, written in 1650. And um, what stated in this book regarding this story is fascinating on many levels. I mean, if you just ended the story right there, it's 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 kind of a wow. But what happens is then they explain to him, and there's an interpreter, it's not all this Hebrew dialogue, but the initial part is they explain that, hey, we're of the tribe of Reuben. Now, the difference being Nephi's family was of the tribe of Joseph. This helps explain many things right here of how in North America, where this account takes place, it, we can now safely assume uh, there were many tribes of Israel who landed at different parts in America at God's time and place and reasons. We don't know those stories yet, but it's interesting that Nephi writes that, hey, the, all the tribes are going to write about Jesus at one point, and so someday those words will come forth, we believe. Right now, we have Nephi's record, and he was a descendant of Joseph, Joseph being the one who... Uh, would have this testimony of Jesus that came to the Nephites. Not all these people got that testimony early on, but that's, that's I digress a little bit. But when this account takes place here in America, these people know they came from Israel and that they're still keeping Hebrew customs, and they also believed they were of the tribe of Reuben. That's one of the interesting things. But what happens, and if you find this book online, uh, you can read it in its pages 134, 135. You can go to a website called archive.org, and you can search and find this book. Uh, I'm going to reproduce it and put it on Restored Gospel here shortly. Uh, be aware when you're reading in the Old English, it might look kind of funny because in this day when they would use the letter S in our uh, English alphabet, it looks like a lowercase f and so sometimes words are kind of like, you might see the word side, S-I-D-E, and it looks like fide, F-I-D-E, okay? Just warning, if you could try to read it, that's what's going on. But once you get beyond that, there's fascinating words that, again, 200 years before the Book of Mormon, it's interesting what comes out because these are things that are only corroborated in the Book of Mormon. These Indians start telling this man certain things, and several people come to him and, and tell him the same thing. And, and so the first thing they tell him is they're of Reuben. The second thing, and you can read this right out of the book, it says, and all such as come are going to dwell with us, and we are going to give them lands. So these people had a knowledge that others would come, and they, they were going to share their land. Now, this is right out of the Book of Mormon, which states that the Gentiles and scattered Israel are going to come into this land and that this is going to be, they're going to share in this inheritance. The inheritance was given to Joseph and his people, but he was told, and you're going to share your land with all these other people. So here in the 1600s, we have these Indians telling this man, hey, whoever will come and stay with us, we're going to give you land. That's what we've been told to do. The third thing they said was, Joseph dwells in the midst of the sea. I'm just reading right from the words. And they made a sign with their fingers pointing towards, you know, the, the the world being kind of divided up and they were scattered. That's exactly what the Book of Mormon says. It says, hey, our brothers are, are inhabit the isles of the sea. And there's a whole different line of evidence that proves those things. Now, every time you say the word prove, you'll I'm undoubtedly find someone on the internet who tries to disprove. Okay. So I'm not even going to go into the arguments yet, but this has been the biggest cover-up, I believe, in American history, all the Hebrew roots. These men, the Thorogood, Adair, and then I mentioned in the last time, uh, Ethan Smith. If you didn't hear the previous episode, you might want to go back to that. They all wrote books, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. The, the last book by Ethan Smith was called The the View of the Hebrews, and, and they all talk about the origins of Native Americans being linked intricately with the customs of the Hebrews. And one author goes so far as to say, nowhere else in the world but among the natives of America can you find so many authentic parallels to the Hebrew culture and traditions. He said, nowhere else. And, and so how come we weren't taught any of this in our, in our history books at all? I just wanted to point out something you pointed out to me very briefly, Corey, this website that has this reprint 
This is not anything to do with the Latter-day Saints or anything. This is just a uh, just an archive of old books. Yeah, and it, so it's not it's not someone that has a, any type of. I mean, there's all kinds of old books on here. There's thousands. No, no agenda. No, this is just one of thousands that were reprinted because it was a legitimate right. old, old book. So, yeah. and I I simply stumbled on it simply because I was searching for words like. Native American and Hebrew. I mean, that was all it was. It was just kind of the result of a Google search. I can't believe the amount of knowledge that's becoming available to us. This is all part of God's plan in yeah. this day and age. Yeah. I mean, this. I mean, someone's taking time to put all of this stuff on there, and then it's like preserved for as long as we have electronics, as long as we have electricity. It's preserved in the in the wherever the cloud, you know, it's, it's up there for anybody to see right now. And it's just amazing to me. I mean, you don't have to go to, you know, a, a thousand old bookstores to try to locate some old vintage thing. It's just like, it's available to everybody. Yeah. I mean, exciting. So anyway, so yeah. No, but and, and what's <laughs> equally, equally interesting is, you know, even before I continue with this uh, part of this book is the fact that what was the agenda of any of these people? I mean, they they weren't trying to promote Mormonism. This was, stuff was all before then. There, there. What was what were they trying to do other than relate facts as they found them? Uh, this book was written uh, published back in England. This man was basically presenting his facts to the crown, you know, to the British uh, nobles of Hey, guess what we found in this new world over here? These people were. Uh, you know, just these were like first facts coming to them of explorers. Uh, this guy wasn't long after Columbus, you know, and it was well before the revolution. He was he was within a few years of the Pilgrims. This is when this this research is is being compiled, and 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 you know, it's not him alone. Um, one of these authors quotes. William Penn. Now, everyone might remember Penn was the reason why we have a state called Pennsylvania. Uh, he was an explorer in that area, but he made the comment. He said, when I see these Native Americans in this part of you know the eastern seaboard, he said, um, they resemble the Jews who you see in London, he said, in their appearance. And that's, that's a whole other testimony. He wrote that in a letter. That's documented. You can find that. But nevertheless, and so I'm thinking, you know, this guy's just writing things and there's there's no perception of Mormonism or anything in the world yet. He's just stating these facts that have been, I think, pushed aside, brushed aside, covered up um, through time for for reasons I won't even try to speculate right now. But um, so so he talked first. He said, we're of Reuben. He said, uh, whoever comes, we're going to share land. That's what we've been told. That's part of the Book of Mormon. Joseph our brothers of Joseph are in the midst of the sea, you know, that lands in other places. We, we get that from the Book of Mormon. We shall one day speak together the same language. Uh, we'll all speak the same. And so what is, you know, we learn we're going to speak, we're going to see eye to eye. We're, we're going to be united in Christ. Um, the, as the, uh, as the kingdom, you know, comes forth, that's what they believed. He, he states, he said, we will go out from hence, from this place shortly, um, and, and make, he said, and cross the water, they talked about, and, and that they would uh, be, they talked about, he was implying gathering, not even just here in this land, but that some would go across the water to gather. Well, what is that? That's Jerusalem of old. Um, the prophet Isaiah talks about there being a highway to Zion, the, the sea becoming dry ground. And he talked, this Indian talked about how they would, they would go out and, uh, at water, but they would walk with their feet. In other words, this this whole aspect of uh, of a highway being being set up. I mean, that's the implication that I, that I take from it. Um, he talks about uh, the sixth point was that there would be a messenger who would go, uh, and, and that's what Jesus is. Hey, I'm going to raise up a messenger and 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 uh, go before me. Um, there there was other things along this. Um, they talked about 12 men who had beards, you know, the disciples uh, who uh, would, would like uh, sit in some kind of a judgment. And there's many, wow. many things. This, uh, And I should probably read that. He said, we'll send 12 men and making a sign and that they would have beards and be able to write. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 and I use the word judgment because the Book of Mormon states that he didn't use the word judgment here, but that there would be 12 who would be sent. 
the Book of Mormon states the 12 disciples who were with Jesus in his ministry would sit and judge these people. That's what the prophecy of the Book of Mormon is in the last right. days, right? So so they have this understanding of future judgment by, by 12, <laughs> right? And so these things ended, and then in a, in a short while after this, the testimony continues where three Indians are brought to him. He, he's, he's taken out of that remote location. He comes back, and he's talking about being in this, uh, it's called Port of Honda. This was uh, uh, in the South America, Colombia, Brazil uh, location, where he says three um, Indians were brought to him. And I'll just read it. It says, uh, he, bring to me three, he brought to me three young and drunk, three Indian young men, not telling me their names, till he had told me that he might speak freely with them, seeing that they were his companions, which he brought, which he was in league with, that the other uh, man was old and wasn't able to come. But these three men said they embraced him affectionately, and he asked, and they asked of what nation he was. And then he answered, he was the Hebrew nation of the tribe of Levi. This was uh, the man, you know, we mentioned this uh, story through Manasseh ben Israel. And then they embraced him the second time, and they said to him these words, Thou shalt see us one day, and thou shalt not know us. Three men who said, You're going to see us, and you won't know who we are. We are thy brethren by a special favor which God hath showed us. And having saluted him, they went on their way. So three men saying, we're here by a special favor of God, and you're going to see us again someday, but you won't know who we are. Who does that sound like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Special, that's just special favor of God. Right, special favor of God, isn't it? You'll see us again, but you won't know us. And so the Book of Mormon states of the three Nephites, he said, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will know them not. In fact, I'm going to even look up that scripture because it's pretty powerful. Uh, This is... um, part of this prophecy that we've been given through the Book of Mormon, yet the very story and the substance of this, we're seeing witness of 200 years before. 200 years before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So in in 3 Nephi chapter 13, verse 39 in the RLDS version, Mormon's making commentary, and he says, now I know, Mormon, I speak concerning an end. He's kind of wrapping up the prophecies of Jesus coming, and then he's talking about these three Nephites, and he said, I was about to write the names of the three that were never to taste of death, but the Lord forbid it. Therefore, I write them not, for they are hid from the world. But here's where he says, but behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me, and behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles knoweth them not. They will also be among the Jews, and the Jews shall not know them. So, and it says later, and as and when it comes past, the Lord sees fit in his wisdom, they shall minister unto all the scattered tribes of Israel, unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, and shall bring out of uh, them unto Jesus many souls. Isn't that something? I mean, they, they almost quoted word for word. I mean, he 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 writes down, "You won't know us." That's exactly what the Book of Mormon says. They'll be among him, but they won't know them. Exactly, and they won't know who they were. Is I mean, how can this be? How can this be? Well, of course, I'll give credit to the naysayers. Some people who've never read the Book of Mormon say, "Oh, well, Joseph Smith must have had access to all these books, and then he just made up his own book after and tried to include these facts." Yeah, he had he had plenty of time to do that. He had I plenty mean, of time just, to learn to learn Hebrew and to write Hebrewisms and Hebrew poetry and all these things that are they're all built. Yeah, in. though I can understand people saying that, and you can certainly choose to believe that. But I I find that as such a bigger stretch. Even if I wasn't, um, I mean, anyway, read the book and then figure out how someone who is fourteen or sixteen years old, you know, that if you think they can even gather, even if you had a library of books to try to gather. And then try to make a cohesive story out of it in the time frame that he did is just is ludicrous yeah. to me. I mean, he, he would have had to been a genius beyond beyond and have a whole anyway. There would have had to been shoeboxes full of notes and yeah. things and all that stuff. And there, there was only a single manuscript. That's all there was. Yeah. It's so anyway. Yeah. I, no. I mean, yeah. That's a legitimate. If he if you actually had 
access to that. That's a legitimate thing. But but even if you did to to just read the book, is there's no way. I just read the book and I'm like, no, there's no way a man wrote this or a I shouldn't even say a man, a boy with yeah. very little education. Yeah. And so, you know, you've I, and I don't know if even just factor the Book of Mormon out of it for a minute and just consider these other books and and how none of this stuff has been uh brought to light. None of this stuff was shared in our history books growing up as children or anything like this. Um, what there, Oh, just my mind goes in so many directions of things I've read out of these things. So things I didn't know, uh, going, continuing in this discussion of these early Americans being, uh, descendants of the Hebrews, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, before Israel is scattered into separate tribes that go separate ways, Moses speaks to all of them before they leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. And he's speaking not just to the Jews, but he's speaking to all of them. He said, you are going to suffer in the hands of the Gentiles. He said, it's going to be bad. He said, the diseases and plagues and things that you've seen among these Gentiles, they're going to be on you. He said, it's going to be so bad that in the morning, you're going to wish it was evening. And when the evening comes, you're going to wish it was morning And because there's never going to be rest for you people. And so he's saying this to all these tribes. And so in our more recent history, We've followed the the Jews because they were the cohesive tribe left through Europe. And we saw and see all the unspeakable atrocities that happened to them, not even just in World War II, but for centuries before that, the, the killings and torturings and scatterings and forced conversion to Catholicism uh, and, and the punishments that were inflicted by the hands of the Gentiles. But here's the point. Judah was not alone in receiving this affliction by the Gentiles. And I'm almost of the opinion now, and I'll state it's my opinion, but I think there's good support. If you look through time and find any time when genocide was committed against people, I bet you, and and again, this is just me, but I think it's probably true that the recipients of those people, even today, are probably descendants of Israel. If, if that's what's happening, because that's what the prophecies would said would happen anywhere. So, so as an example, the reason I share this is because th- this writer in this book from the 1600s, he's going through and documenting what the Spaniards have done. Now, for him, it's recent history. Remember, after Columbus comes to the Americas in 1492, well, the 1500s, were full of Spanish conquistadors landing Central and South America and taking over. But their takeover was swept under the rug of history. That This man writes about atrocities that happened to these Native Americans. He said, for instance, in one region of the land, there were over a million natives. He said when the Spaniards were through trying to find the gold in that land, he said they had killed all but 150 of the people left. They went from a population in just one region of over a million to less than 150 left. Okay, so in perspective, I don't know off the top of my head, but what what was the final estimate of Jews that were killed during the Holocaust? Well, it's interesting. Uh, (laughs) This is going to open up a great conversation. Uh, We can go as far as you want, but six million, but... Jews were not the only people killed. Uh, a lot of people were killed. Uh, 1.2 million Poles were killed just because they were Polish and they didn't resist. Um, there were there were at least 9 million people killed by Hitler. But here's a, a fact that I don't know how we can uh, overlook this either. In Europe, I have a paper on this at Restored Gospel. There were about 9 million Jews living in Europe at the time of the Holocaust, Six million were killed. That's two-thirds. Zechariah states that he says to Judah, he says, two-thirds of you will die in the fire, but the one-third that comes through will call on my name. So, yeah, so Zechariah prophesied two-thirds of them be killed, and that was was proved out, what you just said, by the— by the numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. And so this wow. prophecy is that these ones that would survive would their their generation, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily the lifetime, but in the era of that people that survives, uh the prophecies of all this restoration is to be fulfilled in that 
and I'll read the scripture specifically. It's from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. This is not specific to the inspired version. This is in everyone's Bible. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two-thirds therein shall be shall cut off and die, but the third shall be left. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. And this is the same scripture This is the same prophet that says, they will look upon me who they have pierced and they will say, what are these wounds in thy hands? So if there's any question, who's talking about this? It's, this is the Jews. These are Judah who come to Christ and they know him as God and Savior. And this is the day, it's going to happen after a day when two thirds of you are killed. I want to remind people, if you listen to that song at the end of last episode, go back and click on the show links and just watch the video for that song and look at the story that's told in the video with the scripture references. It's, it's uh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So, But you said, Corey, earlier, earlier one of the greatest cover-ups you think of, of ever is the um, the nature of the Hebrews in this land and, and those things. And here it is, what you just said. Um, and this guy, like you like you pointed out, this is recent history for this man writing that the Spaniards came over one million. Just oh, that was that only region. one case. He, he documents millions of atrocities. And, and some of it is so violent. And, and he doesn't try to be grisly in his description. I'm not going to repeat some of it because he describes some of the atrocities. It's 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 the same heart that Hitler had, the the evil mm-hmm. that was done to these people, and it was all for gold. It was all 150 left. Oh, yeah, just in one region. People. That's and, like a sanctuary full of people. Right, left. right, That's right. It. That's out it. of you know, out of out of a state full of people. Oh right? my gosh! And, yeah. and so, when were we taught that in history? No, but my my point in sharing this is again. When you see the parallels that the Jews suffered with people on the opposite side of the world getting the same treatment in the hands of the Gentiles, history has to tell you these have to be scattered Israel as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the same they're getting the same thing. You know, um, when we're talking about this, there's there's a, um, there's technology available today with this uh, with lasers and light that they can now they're now looking at the areas over here. And even though, you know, we said, well, there was all kinds of, um, Oh, uh, technology, there was all kinds of roadways and there was all kinds of, uh, um, travel and everything that went on back there. We're finding out now severely underestimating. Oh, that's the right. Society that was in this place. I mean, yeah, you saw some of this. Recently. Yeah, in so. fact, there was there was a. It's just been in the last year or so how they've done these, uh, like you say, using kind of laser and and airplanes flying over regions where they can see through the growth and finding where roads and and buildings were. And they said we've severely underestimated the number of people. I think I saw something like they they think maybe up to sixty million people talk, living in the Central Americas at this time of the the heyday, you know, of of their culture. 60 million. And the commerce. In the commerce, everything. Oh, and this is just a little thing I found this week, too. You know, this this huge temple of the sun, uh, uh, Chichen Itza, I believe, uh, in, in Central America. Uh, archaeologists had always said, oh, well, that happened, you know, later in, in, in time. But uh, there was some research uh, later being like six or 700 AD. Some research just recently that came out that said, no, we were often that estimate it's older than we thought and it probably was originated around 100 AD and if that's the case that puts it right in the middle of the golden age of the nephites <laughs> oh you know? wow yeah exactly exactly and so again the cover up it's like the society there was huger than, and no one can explain how it, how they became so advanced well it's because Jesus was there and among them and they benefited for benefited from his teachings for, you know, the, the many years and they lived in peace. 
prospering. Can you imagine waking up every day, Mike, and not having to worry that if you locked your doors the night before or not, you, you never had to worry. I mean, can you imagine there were no courts where for a hundred years where people had to be tried for stealing or murder or, or anything like that, how, how everyone's interest was for your best interest and everyone lived like that because Jesus had been among them. Yeah. And that's the society. That was the product of this society for a hundred years. I can't. I can't imagine. Well, when I do imagine that, I also imagine like people being able to do what they were called to do according to their gifts, rather than just having to go out and earn a living by the sweat of their brow. And that's okay because uh, everyone is there to support everyone and not, and not this uh, unequal money thing, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But that's, I think it's called LIDAR or this just, uh, so many things happening with technology now to, to, to that backs up, you know, some dates may have been off and now they're seeing the number of people and, um, and now with this persecution, I'm just trying to break, bring up Corey, things you've mentioned to me to help you with. You also talked about another, I mean, we're kind of on this, this cover up of, of all of this, these things that men have actually tried to not. Um, not allow us to see what about, uh, and maybe you don't want to bring this up now, oh, the, um, I, yeah. the stones. Oh yeah. It's so cool. You know, you mentioned that LIDAR technology. I, I got to mention, this isn't just like fringe stuff. Um, I just sitting here on the computer, type in LIDAR, L-I-D-A-R in Central America. And you're going to find like the uh, number two Google result is on nationalgeographic.com. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. Uh, of this. Mm-hmm. Right. And they say, you know, they're finding you know, they said, "Hey, that we a major breakthrough. Maya technology identified more than sixty thousand homes and palaces and roads and things just in the northern regions of Guatemala jungles. Just, yeah, just in the northern regions. Yeah, of yeah, Guatemala. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's almost like they can see through. Right, right. And so, and this all places it back in the times where they're saying, "Hey, it's no longer unreasonable. Think they're just they're just." They're just talking about one small area. They said that there were 10 to 15 million people just in the area of Guatemala. Well, um, I got to throw this out and we'll talk about the stones. So (laughs) it's funny how the Lord just kind of brings little clues and sometimes you don't even know there's a clue coming. Last year, I was uh, with my wife and and daughter and son-in-law, and we were in Oregon because my daughter was doing nursing there, and we were visiting. And we went to this maritime museum, and it was showing all the history of, uh, it was on the coast there uh, where the Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean. Beautiful museum. And they had maps of the 1800s. And on this map, my son-in-law just points out, and it's, you know, how maps are always kind of busy. He said, isn't that interesting that the word Guatemala isn't just a little country, but if you look, it's this whole region of Central America. And it was a map from the 1800s. Right. Well, what was interesting to me, I took a picture of it, is that when Joseph Smith was asked, where did the Book of Mormon story take place? He says, well, Guatemala. Well, in our day, we were conditioned to think Guatemala is just this little political geographic circle of a boundary of a tiny mm-hmm. country in Central America. In Joseph Smith's day, Guatemala was, I guess, analogous to our word we call Central America. And this map showed it out. And you can look online. You don't have to see the map I saw at this museum because I found it, again, multiple times online. That Central American region was just called Guatemala, right? So, uh, but this National Geographic thing is focusing on the country of Guatemala. Yeah. So if people, so you said how many million? They were just saying, hey, there, there had to be 15 million people maybe. And they say it's not unreasonable. There could be more just in the little confine of what we call Guatemala now. But Guatemala used to be the whole region right. of Central America. In the context of uh, of National Geographic and what they're looking at now, just if we're trying to get an idea, you know, could this be true? If what they're saying is that many millions of people and they're that, this country now, what they're talking about is, uh, they said about the size of Tennessee. It's six times smaller than Texas. It's, exactly. It's, so imagine that many people just in that area will certainly spread that out now with the commerce they believe that they had. There, there is millions and millions, sixty million. You know, not not. Um, that's not even a, a fairy tale anymore, but no, no. And it's like, again, our history has never touched on any of this. It's just kind of like, Oh, well there's these mysterious pyramids. We don't know who <laughs> those people are who built them next subject, you know, right? Uh, like let it go. And so you mentioned these stones. Yeah. The, 
thinking yeah. about the cover up of uh, Hebrew uh, roots, you know, in this side of the world. Yeah. What about this? Here? Yeah. So it's like here's, and this was just something I found yesterday, and it's not new, but this uh, uh, is something that came out of this uh, area of uh, now. Uh, we're going to a little island in the Caribbean, uh, you know, Puerto Rico. So usually everyone's thinking, well, the story had to take place only in, uh, you know, Central America. But in the 1800s, this sounds just like an Indiana Jones movie. It probably should have been. But a woman in the late 1800s uh, who, who was a native of Puerto Rico, her families had lived there for generations, She's on her deathbed and she shares with someone a, a family secret that her family for generations had guarded a secret. And in the jungle of Puerto Rico, there was a place where there were artifacts and they had been hidden from the world. And she's telling someone on her deathbed where they are. And in the late 1800s, someone goes and follows this map. She basically shares uh, and, and finds that they go to the stone she said you'll find and they roll it away and there's this like a cave well it's kind of in the in the ground uh, you know earthen earthen chamber and in there is over 800 artifacts uh, made out of stone and there's writing on all of them and what they no one's exactly sure what the writing is well they come to find out a little bit later that this was ancient hebrew and that the writing was all in ancient hebrew and these stones, uh, the Smithsonian, it's interesting, uh, caught wind of this and someone goes out and wants to buy the stones for like $800. They're going to give them a dollar a piece, you know, and uh, it was refused. But somehow the Smithsonian got a hold of a few of them. And like many artifacts that have been found in America that have Hebrew inscription, they were classified as uh, of dubious origin. Those were the terms. And they would be put in displays for saying, ah, we really don't know what this stuff is. In other words, giving it no no credence. You can't believe this stuff, all right? Some other stones were found in boxes in the basement of the Smithsonian over the years. You know, this uh, Bat Creek stone, if you've heard of that one, uh, ancient Hebrew on it, found in Tennessee, archived in the uh, category of dubious and put in the shoebox in the Smithsonian. Well, in the last 10 years, these stones were brought not to America, but to Israel. Uh, Puerto Rican researchers and uh, Israeli researchers got together and they did r current modern day x-ray testing, x-ray diffraction, and they find out that these stones were inscribed not only with Hebrew, but the time could have been as far back as 900 BC to as maybe as late as 900 AD. They, they can't nail it down, but they definitely know, you know, these things are a couple thousand years old, all right, of Hebrew in Puerto Rico. Now, how do you get that unless someone of Jewish origin inhabited those lands? That is, I wonder how they got them back. I wonder how they got those to the Israel. That's amazing. I don't know, but I, I just, if, if you, um, you know, you can just search, uh, Google search 800 stones in the word Puerto Rico, and you'll find several articles. Uh, one of my best finds, I think, on this was actually written by one in uh, out of Israel. So the people in Israel are talking about this, and, and the people in Puerto Rico are talking about this, and the Native Americans are just seeing more and more evidence of the same. You would think, wouldn't you think that over there in Israel that they're ask, they would have to ask questions like, how, how did how did we get over, I mean, I wonder if they look at like, well, we know we were scattered. I wonder if, you know, some of our tribes just made ships and took off, but, but when they read a book that talks to them about at least records some people, how they got over here and that God dealt with them. I wonder what that's going to be like if, if, and when they accept it. Yeah. And so that brings up a good point, Mike, because what, what has to come back? You mentioned this in the in the in the previous episode, and I think in, even in talking before we started taping today, the fact that people can have a, a an awareness of Jesus and awareness of their roots, but the difference is going to be when they're baptized by the Spirit and power, and all of these artifacts are proof. All of these artifacts are things that we nod our head and point to and say, yeah, look, see, uh, we were right. None of it was really supposed to be something that 
was just to prove, to justify us or prove our um, authenticity as a church, even though we, we seem to want to use it that way. <clears throat> Hopefully these things give people a reason to bend their knees and, and raise their hands in prayer to God and say, God, would you reveal yourself to me, right? If, yeah. if this is my lineage, this is my origin. And I think that's what we're going to begin to see. Because the, the bottom line is it's the conversion of the heart that will allow us to be in God's presence again. And God promises that's what's going to happen to his people through the message of the Book of Mormon, through the word of the Book of Mormon, eventually to them. Yeah, I feel like it kind of circles back to like, you know, in Joseph Smith's time, um, there were a lot of Christians here in the world, here in the, the North America that believed in God. And, and we know about the tent revivals and just the the, the Christian um, interest. It was, it was a form of entertainment. I mean, there was, it was a, the big thing. It was this interest in, and Christianity was, it was the popular thing to do, you know, and everybody was competing for, uh, for members and where to go. That was interesting because people believed in Christ, but they didn't believe in Christ in his purity. I mean, they, they had a, um, a mental knowledge of him, right? But yeah. there was no heart connection where right. they were being like that knowledge of Christ wasn't having the effect it was supposed to have because they didn't understand him in its purity and what, what they needed to know about him. And so it's like they knew him with their mouth, but they didn't know him right. in their heart. So then the restoration of truth, not, not a now, well, the process of restoring truth in its plain and precious parts and the words of the book of Mormon, along with um, interaction of God with people through the priesthood and through miracles and through people's hearts being changed, all of those things took place. And so now all of a sudden people were seeing the pure and plain God that that has power to change hearts and people's hearts were changed. And that's why so many people were, were, were coming to him in great numbers. It was like, you know, you, you, like you read about in the Bible, you know, where thousands were baptized a day in the Pentecost. And that was kind of happening again. Well, it's going to happen again with the Jews, but see now, now it seems like these Jews and these Indians and the Hebrews are coming to starting to come to know about Christ, but in name, a lot of them in name only. And that's why they say, you know, well, you know, the, the LDS are courting us. We don't want anything to do with that. So are they, are they just learning of God and accepting them with their mind or are they being changed into these loving creatures? And I, I guess I, I think I referred to it like at that Lamanite experience where they're just, they're just changed and where no one needs to teach their brother because they know they know the true and living God. That's the change that has to take place. And so it's it's kind of like the same thing being repeated, but yet God says, I will establish my church among them. Just like he like in eighteen thirty, you know, we had this reestablishing of of a lot of things. He said that he was going to do that again. And when he establishes his church among them, it's not um, a head knowledge of, of Christ, but it's going to be this giant spiritual revival where the world is actually changed. The face of this entire world will be changed because there's so many of them and they're spread throughout the entire world. And we don't know where they are, but God does. When they come to their, when he said, you know, what, what, what was the scripture you quoted? You know, they look upon and said, we pierced his hand. Or, um, yeah. You read that a lot. Was it last episode? Yeah. Or yeah they look upon him who they have pierced. They're going to know the true God for real. Corey, the face of the world is going to change when, when that Amen. kind of type of uh spiritual uh, conversion happens, like we read about in the Book of Mormon, but on a mass scale where there's billions of people that are his chosen people that we don't know where they're at. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. It's such a, it's a story unlike anything we've ever imagined. And this is where <laughs> I'm excited because like you said, hey, if the, if the rising generation is getting this message, I mean, praise the Lord, because the, the promise is that you know, all these people who are part of the lineage have a promise, but all these people who call upon Jesus have the same promise. And, you know, what you said about this, um, uh, you know, hey, whether it's uh, it's full or the experience is full, I, I can't speak to the, that. I, I just right. know that God judges us individually, and it's the sincerity of our part of our heart. But the point is that 
when they begin to call on him, and, and that word is in the Book of Mormon, it says when they begin to call on him, that's when the tables turn. Uh-huh. And that's where he says, I come out with a vengeance, right? And so there are literally billions of the of people in the world. And and what the prophecy is, is that, hey, it's not just this little enclave of people in Jackson County, but the world is going to see this time when either you are for Christ and you're against him and you've been baptized by the spirit or you're not. And this is how the, the day of the Lord begins in, in days to come. I can't imagine what, I just can't imagine that change upon the face of the earth because of the house of Israel who is scattered everywhere begins to accept him. And yeah, I, I totally believe that these people coming to Christ, even though they may in, you know, may be denying the book of Mormon or don't want anything to do with uh, quote Mormonism. Um, but still this is, this is a beginning. I love what you just said when they begin to call on him and no doubt accepting that Jesus was a son of God is a huge, huge step forward for, uh, um, fulfilling of prophecy. Amen. Whether their hearts are, are completely converted yet or not, but it is certainly the, the beginning. What exciting. Here, here's the words from Nephi and he's, Again, Nephi is seeing the end from the beginning, you know, and, and Nephi quotes Isaiah extensively, and Isaiah has a, a unique perspective because Isaiah lives about 750 B.C. at the time when most of the tribes are scattered. He He's alive before Lehi and Nephi, to put it in historical perspective, but he sees the physical scattering of the tribes of Israel in his day. But what God shows him prophetically in power is the day when they all return and are gathered. So he witnesses in his life the scattering. He sees in vision the gathering. And so 2 Nephi 12, 80, if, if you want to open the scriptures, this is powerful prophecy in just a few verses. After the book, which I have spoken, shall come forth, the book is what we call the Book of Mormon, and be written unto the Gentiles and be sealed up again to the Lord, there shall be many which believe the words which are written, and they shall carry them forth to the remnant of our seed. Now, I'm sorry, that's talking about the Bible. I, I, I've said the Book of Mormon. This is the reference to the Bible that would be written, in, and it would come forth. Um, Isaiah sees this scattering in his lifetime, and he prophetically sees how it's going to be fulfilled. Nephi gives us nuts and bolts information of of how some of this is going, going to unfold. And so in the 12th chapter of the second book of Nephi, uh, we, we hear these words often where it says, hey, you know, a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. Well, he starts to say this. He says, you know, because you have a Bible, you don't need to suppose that it contains all my words or that I haven't caused more to be written. And, and we believe that. That's kind of one of the reasons we justify the Book of Mormon. But what follows this is really, really interesting. Verse 65, for I command all men, both in the east and in the west and in the north and south, in the islands of the sea, and they shall write the words which I speak unto them. For out of the books which shall be written... I will judge the word, every man according to his works, according to that which is written. That's one of the reasons those Nephi or those Indians said, hey, we have a story that there's going to be 12 bearded men, right? Judging. Nephi, and yeah, judging, right? That's that's what Jesus says will happen later uh, among the, the Native Americans. But he says in 67, I will speak to the Jews, they shall write it. I will speak to the Nephites, and they shall write it. I will speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. So let's let's look forward to those words. And he says, I'll write, I'll speak to all nations and they'll write it. The Jews will have the words of the Nephites. The Nephites shall have the words of the Jews. This is the connection that begins the restoration of the Jews, however, when the words of the Nephites return to the words of the Jews. And so how this happens is now unfolded when we jump ahead towards uh, the, the latter verses here. Jesus explains to us that whoever repents in verse 77, 78 are the covenant people of the Lord. And he states, as many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord. As many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenants with none, save it be those who repent and believe on his son, who is the Holy One of Israel. So so in that verse right there, we have this covenant being fulfilled. The covenant is you come to God confessing your sins with a broken heart and contrite spirit, 
and he baptizes you with his spirit and and he will cleanse you of your sin right that's that's the salvation story but then he says but i want to prophesy concerning the jews and the gentiles and so that's in verse 79 now this is where he starts to explain how this restoration uh, unfolds in in our day he said so after the book of which I have spoken, shall come forth, be written to the Gentiles, and sealed up again to the Lord. There will be many who believe the words that are written, and they will carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. So it's talking about the Book of Mormon here that will come back to Nephi's descendants from Gentiles. That means from us. And then shall they know uh, that their remnant, uh, then shall the remnant of our seed, rather, know concerning us how we came out of Jerusalem, and that they are descendants of Jews. So the Book of Mormon is going to help prove these things that Native Americans today are already coming to a knowledge of. But the gospel of Jesus Christ will be declared among them, wherefore they shall be restored to the knowledge of their fathers and also the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. They'll rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God." And it says the scales of darkness fall from their eyes. And then this is where 85 and 86 tell the the story. It'll come to pass that the Jews which are scattered also shall begin to believe in Christ. So I want to just focus in on that. The scattered Jews are going to come to a knowledge of Christ, and we're seeing that. And it says, and they shall begin to gather in upon the face of the land. That's the the music and the video that you shared at the end of the last episode. This is happening right now. Jews are beginning to believe in Christ, and they're beginning to gather in to their homelands. That's what that whole story is about. And, and as many as will believe in Christ shall become a delightsome people. And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall commence his work among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people to bring about the restoration of his people on the earth. Now, isn't, isn't that, I mean, right there, when the Jews begin to believe, they'll gather to their lands. That's, that's what's happening. This work is going to help this process. I don't know how and when and where and why, but at some point in time, this work penetrates the hearts of some of the lineage, some of the descendants of the original writers of this work. And when it does, God says, in that day, my work will commence, begin. I wonder when um, or if we'll be able to be a part. It says that the Gentiles would carry those words to them, and I don't know... Well, I have such a limited perspective. Has that happened? Is that happening? You know, will that happen? Uh, I mean, when I read that, my first thought is, well, we need to take the Book of Mormon to the Jews. But like you said earlier, we don't we don't know who or or when or who's going to be receptive or you know which tribe they are. Yeah. Also, we uh, can be as faithful. You know, we right. I think that's all we can hope for. We we don't know what results can have, and and it's again, it's like a Benedict story. He goes to a wicked group of people and is killed for saying that God himself will come down among the children of men. But one person listens, and that person's name was Alma. And Alma's story then shapes the rest of the culture to prepare them for when Christ comes a generation later. You know, And so I'm wondering, Mike, the same thing. We don't know who and when, but, but let's be faithful in not just trying to prove that we're the church restored let's be faithful to the message of the of the of the work that this god came down to make a way for us to be with him again and that these covenants and promises have not been forgotten so you know when you were mentioning about hey you know this isn't the big conversion yet right it's the sign that the big conversion is about to happen if we read nephi's words that, hey, when we begin to see Jews calling on Christ, God says, guess what? That's the sign my work is about to commence among everyone, everywhere. And this is what the Book of Mormon has said from the beginning. Very interesting, fascinating. I've really enjoyed these last couple episodes. I think there's so much here, Corey, that um, this, these are going to be ones where I go back and listen again and play play back again, you know, and try to catch some of those things. Um 
we started talking about, hey, what does the Book of Mormon teach? Yes. And let's let's continue on that in the next couple episodes, Mike, because I think it's important. We can't just say, hey, let's share the message of the Book of Mormon, but let's not leave us in the dark either. Let's let's talk about what this message is. And and for some, it's it's new. For some, it's the message they've been waiting for. For some people, it's it's almost conflicting with things they've heard and felt. But again, as we stated, I think in the previous episode, it's the story of the counterfeit bills. How do you know the counterfeits? When I when I got money literally out of an ATM uh, a year or so ago, and then went and deposited some of it in, in my son's bank account because he was starting a bank account. And so he he needed some cash and he had a couple checks and we were just making sure he had enough in the account to get it started. The cash I handed the bank teller uh, turned it out there was like two counterfeit $20 bills. I said, I got this out of an ATM. And I happened to know the bank teller. I guess that helped. It didn't get me in trouble. But I said, well, so how did you know? And they said, oh, we can just feel it when we're counting it. Uh, you're not the first person this has happened to. But so what do we what do we take away from this? Well, we have to know the message of Jesus as it came from the Book of Mormon because that is the truth. That is not the counterfeit. It's going to be the thing that changes the hearts of the people and fulfills these covenants in the great day of the Lord to come. And those scriptures you were reading just a little bit ago, there is one phrase in there that says, they'll be restored to the knowledge. And again, there's that word restoration. Yeah. It's not a, a group of or an entity that exists in a place. It is a process of people coming to know Jesus. Amen. And let us think about that whenever we hear restoration. May that just click something in our minds and our hearts that we just ponder for a minute. Restoration, that's people coming to know Jesus and be brought back to him. So restored to the knowledge. And we possess in our hands that book that contains so much of that beautiful, sweet, pure knowledge. Um, Amen. Well, I want to leave with some music again. This is a, a Jewish Native Americans with some Jewish people. It says it's at the Tower of David. Do you remember sending that? Yeah. What's the that. background on it? Do you remember so that? So I, I actually looked that up online. It's in the old part of Jerusalem, and it's a okay. it's called David's Citadel, and it's a something of a couple thousand years old where the remnants of building are there, but they actually use it for like a music venue and things now. It's it's cool. It's like it's like ancient Israel, right. and, and it's, it's, a, it's a concert place now outside. Well, this is actually some Native American musicians who recognize their uh, Hebrew um, ancestry. Right, and they're singing with Messianic Jews. It's it's that same <laughs> Joshua Aaron who's got Native Americans singing with them oh about gosh. every tribe who's going to come uh-huh. to back to Jehovah. Well, let us, let us end with this, and until next time, remember... We are all just walking each other home. Good to remember that. Thank you, brother. Every tribe, every tongue, Emmanuel, your king shall come. End of sorrows, end of pain. Come and praise Creator's name.
shit. 